Part Three, Chapter Four of the Uttermost Star. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. The Uttermost Star and Other Gleams of Fancy by Frank W. Borum. The Lantern in the Lane. The soul of the artist shone through his wrinkled face. I really believe that, had his great gift been encouraged and trained, he would have taken his place among our most eminent Australian painters. I shall never forget the last time I saw him. After a long drive across the plains and round the foothills, we reached Wattle Glen just as dusk was falling. He and his wife, a gentle old lady with a soft, musical voice and hair as white as his own, came out to the car and insisted that we must stay the night. During the evening she took me into the front room and showed me the pictures he had painted since my previous visit. But he will never paint any more, she said, with that subdued sadness with which very old people speak of increasing infirmities. His sight is failing fast. He only recognized you by your voice when I led him out to the car. As we rose, after an evening of pleasant reminiscence, to take our candles, a sweet and tearful smile played over her face, and stepping towards me, she said, I must tell you a little secret. It is our diamond wedding day. We were married just sixty years ago this morning. That is one reason why we were so delighted to see you and so anxious for you to stay the night. We should like you to lead us in our thanksgiving. I blew out the candle and returned it to the table, taking instead the family Bible that she handed to me. She turned with a flush of pride to the entry that was just sixty years old. I was deeply touched by being permitted to lead them in their worship on that memorable night, and when I rose with the glow of the sacred exercise fresh upon my spirit, I had no desire to open fresh conversation. An immediate retirement seemed more in keeping with the eternal fitness of things. I turned to go, and then, to my surprise, the old gentleman broke the silence. Those were beautiful words that you read, he said, about the light shining in a dark place. Would you mind repeating them? I took the Bible and read again. We have also a more sure word of prophecy, whereunto ye do well that ye take heed, as unto a light that shineth in a dark place, until the day dawn and the day star arise in your hearts. He leaned forward, listening intently. Beautiful pictures, he murmured, lying back in his chair as though totally unconscious of our presence. Beautiful pictures. I have never painted anything like that. I took my candle and retired, puzzling over his words. And yet, when I looked at them again, I was surprised that I had never noticed the vivid, artistic touches in those graphic phrases. The pictures sailed before my fancy, now like a series of dissolving views. A dark place. A light that shineth in a dark place. The dawn. The day star. It is a perfect gallery of masterpieces. A dark place. There rushes instantly to mind some torturous track. It is hedged about by dense forestry. It winds and twists and forks and branches. The huge boughs overhead blot out the sky. The traveler who, with no light to shine upon his path, 
attempts to thread this labyrinth is in a pitiable plight indeed he cannot see his hand before him he stumbles over a gnarled root he kicks against a heavy stone he puts his foot into a hidden burrow his face is torn by a straggling wisp of thorn sometimes the continuous crunching of the scrub beneath his feet tells him that he has left the track altogether it is a dark place it may be that peter's picture suggested dante's dante tells of the time when at the age of thirty-five he awoke to the fact that he was lost in the midway of this our mortal life i found me in a gloomy wood astray gone from the path direct and even to tell it were no easy task how savage wild that forest how robust and rough its growth which to remember only my dismay renews in bitterness not far from death but where is this dark place so vividly described first by peter and then by dante do they mean to say that the world is a dark place and if so is it true is the world a dark place is it not bathed in brightness is it not the best of all possible worlds a world that makes you glad to be alive can any man look upon a field of corn all flashing with red poppies or upon a range of snow-capped mountains piercing the blue canopy above or upon the sun sinking to rest in a tropical sea or upon the waves dashing themselves into spray on a rock-bound coast and declare in spite of all this that he is living in a dark place can any man who has ever gathered wild flowers in the lane or who has made friends with the furry creatures of the woods or who has marked the plumage of the birds out in the forest or who has seen a salmon glitter as it comes flashing from the stream can any such man say that the world is a dark place can a man watch the children romping on the village green or listen to the song of the nightingale or drink in one long liquid peal of laughter or take part in the boisterous fun by the fireside and say that the world is a dark place when my old friend spoke admiringly of this picture among others on his diamond wedding day was he thinking that the world is a dark place but let us jump to no hasty conclusions does peter really say that the world is a dark place or does he merely affirm that the world would be a dark place if it were not for the bible this sure word of prophecy he says is like unto a lantern shining in an otherwise dark place and by its illumination saving the place from its own darkness and perhaps that is a true description of the world after all it must be true or my old friend would not have thought it so artistic the world is not a dark place at least it is not a dark place for us but it would be a very dark place for us if we had no bible no knowledge of god no clear revelation of his love and care and it is still a very dark place for those to whom these priceless blessings have not come take the savages for example barbaric people live for the most part in climes where nature is more prolific more gorgeous more luxurious than in these temperate zones and yet life under such conditions so far from being a picnic is a nightmare the savage is surrounded by companions whom he cannot trust 
and he feels himself to be at the mercy of natural forces of which he is horribly afraid every puff of wind that blows upon him is the breath of a demon the air is full of hateful and malignant spirits he knows not at what moment they may take it into their heads to destroy him he lives in paradise but his paradise is purgatory to him we know no such terrors we have been taught that all these forces are under control we have come to feel that they are governed by inscrutable wisdom by unerring justice by infinite love we may or may not be decidedly christian but we have read our bibles or come under the influence of those who have and the sacred revelation there made has banished all superstitious horrors we are calm restful unafraid the world is not dark but delightful yet it is only delightful because of the lantern in the lane beautiful pictures murmured my old friend on his diamond wedding day sitting back in his chair and conjuring up before his sightless eyes the fair dreams that my reading had suggested beautiful pictures i have never painted anything like that the lane the lantern in the lane but my old friend saw a third picture the dawn is breaking the day star is in the sky as yet it is true the light is dim crepuscular uncertain you are glad that you have the lantern in your hand but still the darkness has gone the gray dawn is filtering through the branches overhead and high above you is the morning star what did peter mean i wonder by this third picture he leaves us in no uncertainty for see a light that shineth in a dark place until the day dawn and the day star arise in your hearts it is the light breaking within it is the dawn of christian experience in his Hore Subsessive, Dr. Brown comments on the picture of Luther in the convent library at Erfurt, and he lays stress on the fact that, as Luther pours over the sacred pages, the dawn comes stealing into the windows. The young monk, he says, is gazing into the open pages of a huge Latin testament. We can see that he is reading the opening chapters of the Romans. A few dangling links indicate that the Bible was once chained to be read but not possessed it is now free and his own next moment he will come upon or it on him the light from heaven shining out from the words therefore being justified by faith we have peace with god and in intimation of this his dawn the sweet pearly light of morning shining in at the now open lattice is reflected from the page upon his keen, anxious face. That is a touch of real spiritual genius. The imagery is unmistakable. The monk was reading the Bible in a dark place when suddenly the day dawned and the day star arose in his heart. The dawn, when the dawn comes stealing through the trees, the old lane becomes a new place. The branches are choral with song, and the air stirs with the hum of insect life. The day dawn from on high hath visited us, sang the aged Zacharias when his lips were unsealed by the spirit of prophecy. He saw that the dawn had come, and that the old world was pulsing with a new and strange awakening. 
Yes, when the dawn comes stealing through the trees, the lane becomes a new place. In With Christ at Sea, Frank Bullen has a great chapter entitled The Dawn. It is the story of his conversion, and he tells how, having been led to faith in Christ by those majestic and inspired words that he had heard read to him by the seaman's missionary, the whole world seemed a new place to him. The leaves seemed greener, the sky bluer, the flowers sweeter. It was the dawn. To such a man the old lane is a dark place no longer. It is heaven upon earth. The dawn has broken. The day star has arisen in his heart. His faith is fortified now by the strongest of all possible arguments, the argument of experience. The things that he has felt and known may not convince others, but they have lifted him beyond the reach of doubt. And as I let my memory play about the look of triumph on my old friend's face that night, I am convinced that, among the pictures on which his blind eyes were so rapturously gazing, there was still another, and that other the brightest of them all. For is not the dawn the promise of the day? Is not the morning star the harbinger of the sun himself? To be sure, if the exquisite symbolism of the apostle means anything, it means that those of us who have kept the track in the darkness by the help of the lantern, the light that shineth in a dark place, shall yet walk down the old lane amidst the splendors of noonday, our eyes enchanted by a riot of color and our ears charmed by a festival of song. I never expect to visit Waddle Glen again in this life. And even if I do, I shall find that its glory has departed. The old artist and his gentle companion no longer journey together there by lantern light. The vacant stare has passed forever from his eyes. I may find their names engraved on a stone in the little God's Acre close to the church, but his artist's soul feasts upon the beauty that is ineffable and revels in the fadeless light of heaven's eternal noon. End of Part 3, Chapter 4